this is Steve with Life Worth Living. You know, we should never, ever be ashamed to mention the name of Jesus out loud, whether it's in a conversation, in a prayer, or whatever. We should always be bold about speaking the name of Jesus. In fact, it's the name that's given to the Son of God, which is above every other name. There's no more authoritative name than Jesus. And so I'd like to share with you today in in today's podcast, how you can be excited about Jesus in his name, so much so that you're willing to share that name, to speak that name every opportunity you get. If you want to open your Bibles, you can do so, or you can follow along the screen as we normally do here. And uh, today we're talking about not being or being unashamed of Jesus's name, unashamed of Jesus's name. I like to be able to say the name of Jesus without feeling awkward or embarrassed or ashamed in any way. All right. Jesus is the best name in the world. It's the highest, most powerful, authoritative name in the world. And let's look at that today in the context of Acts 13. So there was a church in Antioch, and we're going to be showing a map here in just a second, not quite yet, but you're going to kind of see where some of these cities are so that you can kind of, uh, it's not just names on a sheet of paper here, which is the, the Bible. But you can kind of outline and see where things are. But before we do that, there's a church in Antioch, which is in modern-day Syria. And uh, there were prophets and there were teachers in this this church. And some of those folks, their names are written here. It's Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, and Manian, if I'm not pronouncing that wrong, as well as Saul. Now, Saul is the guy that we talked about a few weeks ago who was persecuting the church, and God got a hold of his life and turned his life around, and you need to ask yourself, has God turned my life around? Think about it for a second. Has God turned my life around? I hope the answer is yes, and I hope the answer is continuous, that he's continuously turning your life around, not spinning you, but turning you in the right direction, because we tend to get off the wrong path a lot of times. Verse 2, though, is while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, well, what does that look like? Whenever you say worshiping the Lord and fasting, that means you're serious. You're praying seriously. Some people will say, you know what, I'm going to take a break from a meal once a week, or I'm going to get off of sugar for a while, or I'm going to get off of... Uh, social media for you fast. In other words, you put something that's distracting to you aside and you say, I'm going to get serious about getting close to God. And so that's what these folks were doing. They were worshiping and fasting. And when that happened, the Holy Spirit said, are you kidding me? The Holy Spirit spoke to these people. God Almighty spoke to these people. The answer is yes. Can God speak to you as well? Yes. Does God speak to you all the time? Absolutely. Do we hear from him? Sometimes we don't. (laughs) Sometimes we're distracted. Sometimes we're worried. And we don't hear God's gentle whisper into our souls. But the Holy Spirit here says, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Wow, that'd be be quite a message. Set apart you. (laughs) 
God says, I want you, and I'm going to set you apart for a certain work that I've called you to do. So after they had fasted and prayed a little bit more, these, this church placed their hands on these guys. They, they prayed over them, and they sent them off. Now I want to ask you a quick question. Do you know what Jesus' calling and destiny is for your life? Do you know? Uh, some of us do. Some of us don't. Some of us might have some clues and say, I think God has called me to X, Y, and Z, but I'm not 100% sure. The second question I would ask you is, are you fulfilling Jesus' mission for your life? You say, well, Steve, I have a job. Well, maybe that's part of Jesus' mission for your life. You say, well, I'm uh, retired, and I'm, you know, I don't have a lot of activity in my life. You say, you know what? Jesus still has a plan for you. As long as you have breath in your lungs and you have the ability to do something, even if it's sitting from a chair, God has a plan for your life. He has a call for your life. He has a destiny for your life. And you need to be excited about it. And it all comes from Jesus. Jesus is the one that puts that call, that destiny in your life. And I'm telling you, Going through life, I'm what, 50? I think I'm 53 now. I can't remember how old. I'm in my 50s somewhere. And you know what? I have generally not been able to see past my nose my whole life. But I've found that God steers you in amazing ways. And you end up, life is not linear. Did you know that? It doesn't just go one step, next step. No, life zigzags all over the place. Have you noticed that? And you're like, What? I oftentimes wonder, how did I ever end up in El Paso, Texas? Guess what? I zigzagged here. (laughs) And God's destiny brings you to the place that you're in, and all you can do is try to fulfill his call at that point in time. And don't worry too much far down the future. Let's read on. Remember, Jesus calls you. Jesus himself calls you. We're talking about not being ashamed of Jesus' name. He he calls you. So we read on in verse 4 now of Acts 13. It says, two of them, uh, so the two of them, this is Barnabas and Saul, um, sent out on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia, if I'm pronouncing that right, and then sailed from there to Cyprus. Uh, When they had arrived in Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues there. And John, they had taken this third person with them. John, who is also called Mark. Some versions of the Bible, you see that. John was their helper. So there's three of them. And I want to just throw up a map here just really quick before we get into the meat of this. Look, they were in modern-day Syria, Antioch. And they sailed across part of the Mediterranean there until they got to Cyprus. And here in Cyprus, they kind of made their way uh, throughout Cyprus. So we'll come back to this map in just a second. See, the Apostle Paul, who here is referred to as Saul, made several missionary journeys. And as we make our way through Acts, it'll be good to kind of see, hey, where did he go and what level of influence did he have over what parts of the world? So we're going to have a lot of maps. If, if you don't like maps, I'm sorry, I love maps. I'll get on Apple Maps or Google Maps and just start looking at different parts of the world. And it interests me, and I hope to a certain extent it interests you as well. But but let's look at this. Let's go back to the scripture. It says they were sent by the Holy Spirit And they proclaimed the word of God. (laughs) When you proclaim something, you've got to be excited about it. 
you're not going to talk about something you're not excited about. Have you heard of brand ambassadors? These young folks, man, they'll get excited about some line of clothing or some cool electronic gadget or whatever, and they are a brand ambassador. And, man, they'll market that thing until they're blue in the face because they're excited about whatever it is that they're wearing or using or whatever. They're brand ambassadors. Let me tell you what the Bible says that you and me, we're ambassadors for Jesus. We're ambassadors. And you know what? You're an ambassador because you're excited about what you're proclaiming, what you're talking about, what you're declaring. We need to get excited about Jesus. Well, how can you get excited about Jesus? <laughs> how do you do that? Because there's some days when I'm not excited about the Lord. I hate to admit that, but it's the truth. There's other days I'm more excited than, than, than uh, other days. But how do you get excited about Jesus? And I want to share with you something that was an epiphany to me this very week. And it's this. You find your happiness in Jesus. How do you get excited about him? You start finding your happiness in him and not in other things. How many times have we gotten excited about a hobby or excited about a, a job opportunity or excited about a trip, whatever? You do it, and then it leaves you high and dry. You were up, you're all excited, you experienced it, and then it was like, didn't do anything for me. And then, so then you're looking for the next mountain and the next opportunity and the next thing to get you... Find your happiness in Jesus. And I'm telling you what, once you start receiving joy from him, the Bible talks about the joy of the Lord, all right? The happiness that comes from God. His joy starts spilling out from him onto you, and you get happy, and you're like, I don't even know why I'm so happy today. <laughs> Nothing necessarily good has happened for me, but I find myself to be overflowing with joy today, and you find your, your happiness in him, you're going to get excited about Jesus. You're going to get excited about Jesus. So stop looking for happiness in all the wrong places. You know, materialism, buying something new, going on a trip or, or some whatever. Those things are not going to produce lasting joy. Only Jesus produces lasting joy. And you're going to get excited about him when you find this. Let me give you two quotes. The first one is from this man named George Mueller. Now, my dad gave Kyle a book. And my whole family has been, wait, poor Kyle, he can't even read the book because I keep getting it and reading it. And then Tina got it, Sarah got it, we're reading it. And, and so this, this book, I believe, is a biography or autobiography about George Mueller. And George Mueller lived back in the 1800s. And here's what George Mueller did. He built the orphanage of the century, all right? It was back in a time when the, the little orphans on, in, in London, on the streets, they would get put into workhouses, and basically it was, it was human trafficking. They would use these children, and nobody wanted to touch the orphans. They were all over town. They'd steal from you. Uh, they lived terrible lives. And George Mueller, God started dealing with, talk about a call from Jesus. God started dealing with George Mueller about the orphans, all right? And he built this massive orphanage there in England. And he did something strange. He never asked for a penny from anybody. He lived by faith. And God kept supplying for him to build a very nice facility in those times, not sparing on any cost, and then supplied the money 
day after day, week after week, month after month to be able to feed and take care of those orphans. Well, George Mueller said something really interesting. He said, the first and great primary business to which I ought to attend to every day is to have my soul happy in the Lord. Find your happiness in God, and you will be excited about the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, you say, Steve, maybe that was just for George. Well, here's another guy that said something interesting. His name's John Piper. As far as I know, he's still alive, a mighty man of God. And he, I believe it was him. He uses it all the time unless he came up with this term Christian hedonism. Now, hedonism is something that we, you know, as Christians, we say, oh, you shouldn't be hedonistic. But, you know, there's Christian hedonism. In other words, you get your high off of Jesus. You get your high off of, man, being in church. You get your high off of serving God. And here's what he said. Christian hedonism is the conviction that God's ultimate goal in this world is his own glory. God is God, and and he expects his creation to glorify him, not in a self-serving or selfish way. But it's the same thing as what our need is, which is to be happy in him, to be satisfied in him. It says, because God is most glorified in us when we're most satisfied in him. Isn't that cool? So God's goal of his glory and our goal of being satisfied are one in the same. We enjoy being happy in God, being satisfied in Jesus. He goes on, he says, not only is God the supreme source of satisfaction for the human soul, but God himself is glorified by our being satisfied in him. I love that. Therefore, our pursuit of joy in him is essential. He said the same thing that the other guy said several hundred years ago. Isn't that cool? Find your happiness in Jesus and you are going to be excited about him. All right? In fact... Psalms 37, 4. I love this. Delight yourself in the Lord. Don't delight yourself in a good ice cream or don't delight yourself. I mean, enjoy things. Don't get me wrong. But delight yourself in God. Isn't that wonderful? And what is he going to do? He's going to give you the desires of your heart. You say, God, you are my pure joy, my pure happiness I'm going to stop trying to find happiness anywhere else, and I'm going to find it in in you. Now, it's interesting that the devil's most subtle lie is to tell us that we're not going to be happy. If you think about any worry that you have, if you're lonely or worried about being lonely or things aren't going well in your life, that nagging, that voice down deep inside is telling you, you're not going to be happy. You're not going to be happy. You're not going to be happy. Be on your guard against that voice because in Jesus, that's a lie. You can and you will be happy in Jesus. All right? So the question then is, and I know I'm kind of going down a rabbit hole here, but but bear with me because it's good. It's blessed me so much this week. How do you find your joy and happiness in Jesus then? How do you do this? Well, here's some thoughts that that I thought about this week as I was contemplating this. Is it's First of all, it's the wrong question. How do I find my happiness in Jesus? It's not really the right question. The first question is, where can I get my joy from? And you have to establish that. Oh, okay, I'm not going to get it from my work. I'm not going to get it from cutting another business deal. I'm not going to get it from uh, relaxing an extra day this week. My source 
is Jesus for my joy? That's the first question that we should be asking and answering. But how do you find your joy in him? Well, stop, cut off all your other sources. All right? Cut off all your... You can still enjoy a trip. You can still enjoy your family. You can still... But ultimately, every morning I get up and I say, God, make me happy. (laughs) Sounds kind of bad, but, you know, give me joy today. I'm coming to you, God. I'm not going to rely on any other source. I'm just going to... And here's what I found. When I get my happiness from God, I enjoy everything else a lot more. I enjoy everything else a lot more. So we stop finding our sources from other places. The third thing that we can do here is we find satisfaction in spiritual activities. And I'm going to give you, do my best to give you what, what I've, I've learned and experienced. To me, and I, I've said this before and forgive me, but it's just the truth. I love to get up early in the morning and walk with Jesus. And as I'm walking with him, all my worries are just melting off. My plans for the day are out of my mind. I've kind of blocked everything out. And I'm in Jesus' presence. And I, I, may, I may not say a whole lot. I'm just kind of listening to him. I'm f- sensing his presence. Can I feel it with tingly goosebumps? Not that kind of feeling. I'm just saying, I feel close to God. And I've, I've con- kind of compartmentalized that, that early time of the morning just for Jesus. And I find a great deal of satisfaction and peace of just being one-on-one with him. You see what I mean? And I love, and I, I know some mornings are crazy and I just don't have enough time, but I love to be able to get up in the morning and spend some time reading my Bible, man. And just, I, I, I like open up my heart and I say, I just want to receive a good word from Jesus today. If it's 15 minutes, it's 15 minutes. If it's 30 minutes, even better. If it's a little longer, wonderful. But I just sit there and I just soak up the word of God and read it. And if I, if I hit a speed bump and I read something I don't understand, that's cool. I just, hey, I don't get this, God. And I might write down a question. What does this mean anyways? So many of us, we read the Bible, we hit a speed bump, we hit a question, we say, I don't get it. Bible's hard to understand. Throw it out the window and I'm done. Come on. <laughs> Press through the questions. Don't let the doubts, the, the shadowy doubts cloud your mind and say, I'm, I'm not going to even do this anymore. No, press in. There's something to learn here. And so you enjoy reading the Bible. I, I love coming to church here. This is, I, am, I get a great deal of satisfaction. We were here on Wednesday night. My dad said something. In fact, I'm saying some of the things that he said that just bless me. And I walked out of here, I was kind of about right here when I walked in. When I walked out, I was up here. You see, you find satisfaction in spiritual activities. Um, Let's see, number four. And this one hit me yesterday. In fact, it wasn't even up here. I had to go modify this real quick because I'd already written all this stuff up and it hit me. Look at this. How do I find my joy? I enjoy, but I don't hold on to something. All right? And what do I mean by that? Well, Kyle, my son, he's, he's going to be leaving us here in about a month, two months. He's moving to Arkansas. He's going to work in Arkansas. I'm going to miss him terribly. You know what God's showing me? Just enjoy him right now. Don't hold on to him. Say, oh, my goodness, I'm losing my boy. You know, No, I'm going to release him, but I'm going to enjoy every second with him. You see what I mean? 
So don't hold on to your, your, you know, your experience or your, your credentials or whatever. No, release it and just enjoy the benefits of the things day to day. Soak up the, the air around you, the sun, the, the experiences. Enjoy, enjoy, but release, release, release. See, holding on to something is what produces uh, terror, <laughs> worry, fear. But when you release, you say, it's all in God's. I'm just going to enjoy whatever God's got me doing right. I'm just going to enjoy it. All right, that's a, that's a way that you can find your joy in, in Jesus. Here's another, just five and six, two, two more things. It, quality over quantity is just a myth, all right? I'm going to spend quality time, but not quantity time. No, no, no. You need quantity time with Jesus. You need time with God. And, and, and that really gives you the opportunity to enjoy him. I've found if I spend five minutes with Jesus, I'm just getting started, man. <laughs> I'm not going to find a lot of enjoyment in five minutes. I need a good, solid 30 minutes at least of whatever, of reading and praying, of, of just being with the Lord. And so you need quantity. And here's the last thing. Once you get hooked on Jesus, feed the addiction. <laughs> We're all addictive. We have addictive natures, all of us. Just keep feeding it, man. Keep wanting Jesus more and more, and it'll turn into this wonderful, virtuous cycle. So... Here's the thing, you won't be ashamed of what you enjoy. You enjoy Jesus, you're not going to be ashamed of Jesus or his name or his identity. A couple more thoughts here. So going back to Acts uh, 13, in verse 6, I believe, they travel through the whole island of Patmos. Was it Patmos? Yes, Patmos. They travel throughout the whole island until they came to Patmos, excuse me, where they met this Jewish sorcerer. Okay, things are creeping us out a little bit here. A false prophet named Bar-Jesus, who was an attendant to the proconsul Sergius Paulus. This guy was a, a, basically a Roman governor of that area. The proconsul was actually an intelligent man, and so he sent for Barnabas and Saul because he wanted to hear the word of God. But Elimaeus, which was another name for the sorcerer, uh, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul against the faith. Then Saul, who is called Paul, this is the first time we see that Paul's name, Saul's name is changing to Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Elimaeus and said, you are a child of the devil <laughs> and an enemy of everything that's right. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you never stop perverting the ways of the Lord. Now the hand of the Lord is going to be against you and you're going to be blind for a time, not even able to see the light of the sun. Immediately a mist and darkness came over this man and he groped around seeking someone to lead him by the hand. When the proconsul saw what had happened, he believed for he was amazed at the teachings about the Lord or about Jesus. He was amazed and we should be amazed by the teachings of Jesus. We should be amazed by the power of God changing our lives, drawing us into places that we would have never gone before, doing changing attitudes that we used to have, seeing our lives transformed. We should be amazed by the teachings of Jesus. In Romans 1.16, uh, Paul, the, the person here who said this, he wrote Romans, he said, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. I'm not ashamed of it. 
Why? Because it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. It's the power of God. We're talking about being unashamed of Jesus. When you realize the power of Jesus Christ, you're not going to be ashamed of him. See, you're going to worry more about what he thinks about you than what other people think about you. And you're going to be unashamed of Jesus. In fact, let's just talk just very quickly. What is this gospel? What is this gospel thing talking about? Well, gospel, is, it means good news, a good and joyful, joyous message about Jesus. It's good news. When you talk about God, it's not bad news. It's good news. And it's exciting news. And it's life-changing news. And it's life-giving news. Well, let's read on now in Pisidian Antioch. Okay, the, the trip continues, and I'll read a little bit here. And from Patmos, we're going to show, throw up the map here in just a second. From Patmos, Paul and his com- companions sailed to Pergamum. And we'll see the, the, the trip here. In Pamphylia, where John left them to return to Jerusalem. Okay, he abandoned them. The, the, the trip got too hard for him is what happened. And I want you to make a mental note of this because some down, sometime down the line, we're going to refer back to John Mark here. From Pergamum, they went on to Pisidian Antioch, a different Antioch. And on the Sabbath, they entered into the synagogue and sat down. Synagogue was a Jewish church, a place of meeting. And after reading from the Law and the Prophets, the leaders of the synagogue, notice here's Paul and, and, uh, and Barnabas, and they said, Brothers, if you have a word of exhortation for the people, please speak. And so Paul stands up, he motions with his hand, all right? Fellow Israelites, and you Gentiles who worship God, listen to me. He starts preaching. He's not ashamed of Jesus. And this is the point that I want to make with this last section. He's not ashamed to name to speak the name of Jesus. He goes on, and, and I'm not going to put it all up here, and he goes through some, some Hebrew history, all right? And he mentions that, but let's, just, let's look really quick. So they went through Patmos, they crossed over into modern-day Turkey, and then they traveled up to Antioch, and that's, that's where they're at right now. This is where this happened, right in the middle of modern-day Turkey. I would love to go to Turkey. I would love to see the ruins of Ephesus and some of these places. It'd be super interesting to know that's the place where people like Paul walked and spoke to people. And, and as we get into some of these other missionary trips, it's exciting to see the letters that he wrote to those churches that he established and understand the background. We're going to do that over the coming weeks and months. But anyways, so you can kind of see this um, Paul continues to speak in this town of Antioch, and he says, from this man's descendants, he's talking about King David, because I skipped a little piece here, God has brought to Israel the Savior Jesus as he promised. I mean, he's bold-faced saying Jesus. Now, you've got to put this into perspective. If you're in, in school, in high school, or in college, are you willing to speak of the name of Jesus in front of people? Because that's what he was doing. If you're at work and you're talking to somebody and the topic of God comes up, are you willing to speak the name of Jesus? Say it verbally coming out of your mouth. It's a powerful name. It's the most powerful name in the whole universe. And people, if you ever get an awkward silence when people say Jesus, it shouldn't surprise you because the name of Jesus can make people feel uncomfortable. 
we're not here to make people feel uncomfortable, but I love being in Irvine High School and being able to talk about Jesus in front of high school students in a public school. That is awesome. That is powerful. And that's what Paul is doing. Can you imagine a little family get together? You're having a barbecue. Your family's over there. The topic of God comes up or eternity or whatever. And you start talking about Jesus to your family. That's what I'm talking about. Use the name of Jesus. Be unashamed of speaking the name of Jesus. And that's what Paul is doing here. So he says, he talks about the Savior Jesus before the coming of Jesus, he says. <laughs> He's like bold face, uh, just, just speaking it. He speaks of John the Baptist. And then he comes on down here in verse uh, 26, I believe. says, fellow children of Abraham. In other words, Israelites here in the synagogue. He says, and you God-fearing Gentiles, it is to us that this message of salvation has been sent. The message of the salvation of Jesus. The people of Jerusalem, their rulers, did not recognize Jesus. Yet in condemning him, they fulfill the words of the prophets on that, uh, uh, that are read every Sabbath. And he goes down in verse 32. He says, he speaks the name of Jesus again. And then he says, through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is being proclaimed to you. All right. And then he goes on. He says, hey, the law, all right, the law of Moses the, the law of right and wrong is not going to save you. Only Jesus is going to save you. You can't save yourself. And so I want to end with this. In uh, two, two scriptures, in Acts 3.6, I don't know, I've kind of skipped through some of this. I didn't want to read it all. You can read it uh, this week. But in Acts 3.6, it says, Then Peter said, he was, he's talking to this beggar who's, who's crippled. He said, Silver and gold I don't have. But what I do, I, I do have, I give, he says, in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, walk. And I want to tell you something. If you're struggling with depression, you're having a bad day, and you got depression just kind of clouding your mind, you can say, in the name of Jesus, depression, get away from me. I'm telling you, this is the kind of power that the name of Jesus has. If you have uh, anger issues, and this anger just wells up within you, you can say, in the name of Jesus, get away from me, anger. That's the name of Jesus. That's the power of the name of Jesus. If you have a, a family member <laughs> who's given you fits, you can pray for them and say, in the name of Jesus, turn that person around and get them back on the right track again. Pray for them in love. Use the name of Jesus it's the most powerful tool and weapon in your arsenal to get ahead. If you have a, this, this feeling about you, who knows what kind of feeling it is, a feeling of dread, a feeling of not looking forward to tomorrow, you could say, in the name of Jesus, I, t I speak to this dread. Get away from me in the name of Jesus. You see, the power of the name of Jesus is unbelievable, and it's accessible to you if you will use it. Use it. God wants you to use the, the name of his son. In fact, Jesus told his disciples, he says, go do things in my name. Go do things in my name. So if you're working, do it in the name of Jesus. If you're helping somebody, do it in the name of Jesus. If you're raising a family, do it in the name of Jesus. All right? If you're struggling with your health, hey, get to the hospital and do it in the name of Jesus. And trust Jesus to help you through your problems. In this example, the name of Jesus healed a lame person. 
The name of Jesus is powerful. I'll end with this, this last scripture in Philippians 2, verses 9 through 11. It said, Therefore God exalted him, it's Jesus, to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. It's above the name of Steve. It's above the name of Jesse. It's above the name of Shelley. It's above the name of, of Tara. Jesus' name, it's above the, the name of, of the new king of England. It's above that name. The name of Jesus is above every other name. And it says that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. In other words, <laughs> the exalted, the middle class, and the people who are, are nothing in our society, as we might look at them. It's everybody. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Wow! Man, oh man, oh man. Who are we serving? We're serving the King of Kings. The Lord of Lords. I, every, at some point, every single human being, you and me and kings and paupers and everybody, is going to stand before Jesus. And we're going to have to give an account for what we did with the Son of God. Did we accept Him into our lives? Or did we just live our lives for ourselves and reject Him? I tell you what, one of these days, I'm going to have to bow like this. I'm going to bow before the Lord. I'm probably going to be on my face before God. And you, you will as well. All of us will. Whether you believed him or not. All right? And it, at, at one point, every one of our tongues, after we pass on, is going to confess that Jesus is Lord. Now, you can do it now willingly, or you can do it later by compulsion because you have to. I want to do it now. I want to say, Jesus, you are Lord. I acknowledge you. I bow my life before you, my heart before you. I'm not messing around anymore. I'm going to do it now. Would you stand with me just for a minute? And I, I can't make you. I don't want to make you. I want you to do it for yourself. Can you start telling God and Jesus who he is and acknowledging who he is? Let's just take a minute. We're going to have the baptismal here in just a second. But can you do that? I don't care if you do it quietly. I don't care if you do it out loud. But right now, say, God, if you want to. This is totally up to you, all right? God, you are who you say you are. Jesus, you are the Son of God. You are the King of kings. You are the Lord of lords. You're the Prince of peace. You're the Lion of the tribe of Judah. I'm just naming stuff off from the Bible. You're the Lion of the tribe of Judah. You are the Almighty God. You are the Lord of hosts. That means the Lord of the warring angels that fights on our behalf. Hallelujah, man. God, Jesus, you are everything to me. You are everything to me. You, you tell him. You tell him for yourself right now. Jesus, you are high and exalted. You're the almighty God. There is truly no other God but you. You are the one true God. Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Part of the triune God. In other words, the Trinity. Oh, we worship you, Jesus. That's a strong statement. We bow before you, Jesus. We're in awe of you, Jesus. We are amazed at your love, Jesus. We're amazed by your power and your acts, Jesus.